0: If you could ask God one question about the future, what would it what would it be? You ever think about that? Share with the person next to you. If you could ask them ask God one question about the future, what would it be? <laughs> okay, okay. When I was younger, uh, it might have been who I was going to marry. But now I have that question answered. Um, now maybe it's uh, lottery ticket numbers or the stock market. I don't know. right? It's a fun question for us today, right? One question. How many of you guys like board games? Board games? Sometimes I play simple board games with my son. And there are two types of board games that we play. Ones that are completely chance, and ones that involve some sort of strategy, right? There's completely chance, and there's strategy games. And shoots and Ladders is a game of chance. Um, if, if you've ever played it, you roll the dice, and you follow directions, and whatever squares you land on, that's what you have to do. Whether you win or not is, is completely by chance. Uh, there's no skill, there's no strategy, it's pure luck. There's no decision-making. Then there are strategy games. My son and I also play a game called Sorry. And he likes this game too. Uh, There's still dice rolling here, or it's cards, but it's the same thing. Um, But there is an element of strategy. You have to figure out the best way to move your pieces to win the game. Sometimes in either game, my son is really far behind, but then he ends up winning. He comes from behind and wins, and he loves doing that. You see, he, in and Ladders, we played where um, I, am, I am near the top around here, right? And he thinks that I am close to winning. But then I land on this unlucky square, 87, and I have to slide all the way back down here. And he loves that. And he will be toward the bottom, and he loves landing on square number 28. Because when he gets on 28, he gets to climb up this ladder, and he's beaming, and he's so happy. He gets to come up to this square right here. He loves that square so much that he's happy to land on squares like this one that bring him all the way back down here, or this one that bring him back down here, or this one that brings him all the way back down, because he gets that shot again at this lucky number square, 28 here. Because that, to him, that's the most important square in the game, because then he gets to go straight back up and to, to hit this square here. Board games are fun, aren't they? Until they're not. We'll get back to that later. But before we begin today, let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's a lot going on in this world, good and bad. I pray that you send the Spirit to us, Father, that we put our trust in you and that our our only hope would be in you. In your son's most holy and precious name, amen. We are are continuing the book of Daniel. So that's Daniel chapter 7. We've done the first six uh, chapters already. But before we begin, I wanted to set us chronologically where we are at and give a little bit of um, a a recap. So in chapter 1, in uh, 605 BC, Babylon conquers Israel, right? And then Daniel and his friends are taken captive. And they're forced to learn a new language, a new culture. They have to eat new foods, if you remember. And about three years later, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a statue made of different materials. Do you remember? Different metals. And also in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saved from the fiery furnace. Right? And then in chapter 4, it's, it's a busy year. Okay? Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. It's this time about a huge tree. And then it seems like nothing happens much for 63 years. But then in chapter 5, in 539 BC, King Belshazzar sees a weird writing on the wall and is killed later that same night. Do you remember? Mene, mene, tekel parson. Mene, mene, tekel parson. Numbered, judged, divided. Your days are numbered. You've been judged and found inadequate, wanting, and your kingdom will be divided up. Numbered, judged, divided. And then in chapter 6, Daniel is safe from the lion's den. So we're done with the first six chapters, and we are halfway done with the book of Daniel. And the way the book of Daniel is written, the first half of the book are narratives. So chapters 1 through 6 are narratives, and then chapters 7 through 12 are about visions and dreams. Right? The first six chapters are, are chapters we kind of read about or we know from Sunday school, right? the, the, the popular ones, the fiery furnace, the, the, the Daniel and the lion's den, uh, the, lion's den the, the writing on the wall. But chronologically, today's dream, today's vision happens during the first year, first year of the reign of King Belshazzar in 553 BC. So you can you can kind of see that today's chapters um, seven and eight are flip flop with five and six. So we have to go backwards a little bit. No one's sure why Daniel's arranged this way, but uh, it's probably that Daniel wanted to arrange all the stories together and then arrange all the all the visions together, all the dreams together. All right. So today, Daniel is given a dream about four great beasts. Uh, it's a wild ride, so I, I'm going to try to get through this as, as quickly as I can. So we are back in the reign of King Belshazzar, and we already learned about his death, but we're going to go back in time, okay? Uh, verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. Lying in bed. He wrote about the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four winds of beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. And here's a, here's a picture, um, an artist's rendition. And I'm going to show different ones because I don't want us to get married to a specific vision because these are or a specific artist's rendition because, you know, there's, there's different interpretations. But here's one I kind of put up so that we could um, uh, kind of go through here. So I'm going to c- continue reading. Remember, he sees four great beasts. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, and that is, so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. I imagine it's this one right here. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on its size and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever what was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And I can see ten horns here. While I was thinking about the horns, and there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And and the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn, think about this. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fl- fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was sealed, and the books were opened. And here is another artist's rendition. And you can kind of see you can kind of see where all, all the, you know, the, the lion with the wings, the bear, the four-headed leopard, uh, the, 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 the terrible beast. And here's, here's another one. So you can see all these different interpretations about all these weird beasts uh, in, in Daniel's dream. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words, the horn was speaking. So one of these beasts has a horn, right? And, and the horn has, <laughs> has a mouth that's, that, that's speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All right, so I'm going to take a pause here. We are halfway through. All right, so four terrible, terrible beasts come and wreak havoc upon the earth. They come and go, and then Jesus comes, and he approaches the throne of God, and he's given all authority. So now Daniel starts asking some questions. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts that you saw, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise up from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High God will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and the most terrifying. With his iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that was crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, and the horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that, high, that had eyes on its mouth, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. So this one horn is waging war against, against all, this, all the saints, all the Christians. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crashing, crushing it. All right, we're almost done. The ten horns are ten kings. So each of these, each of these horns is, is a different king. They'll come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for times, times, and half a time. But then the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will worship and obey him. Final verse. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. This is the end of Daniel chapter 7. And so, I have to wonder, Daniel's frame of, his, his frame of mind, Right? Daniel, has, he has a pretty scary dream, and he seems so freaked out by it that he keeps everything to himself. It's like this vision of the end times, right? First, he sees four beasts rise out of the sea, four terrible beasts that wreak, that wreak havoc upon the earth. And these four beasts represent four different kingdoms that come and go. And then Daniel sees Jesus approach the throne of God. And Jesus is given all authority and dominion and power and a kingdom that will never end. And he rules in the end. That's chapter 7. That's it. Four beasts. Jesus conquers them all. But I have to wonder when he's looking at this, what his frame of mind will be, right? His country was conquered. His fellow Israelites were forced to learn a new language, a new culture, eat new foods. And all these foreign kings were hostile to the faith, right? Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He built a huge image of gold and demands that people bow down and worship it or else be thrown into a fiery furnace. King Belshazzar? He was prideful his entire reign, and he defiled the holy vessels of God. King Darius, he signs a decree that anybody who doesn't pray to him gets thrown into a den of lions. We see that it can't be good. And Daniel, has to be, Daniel had to have been wondering, God, when, are, when will you save us? How long must we endure all this oppression? When are you going to save us? King after king after king after king, just Bad. Remember at the beginning when I asked, if you could ask God one question about the future, what would it be? I think this would be Daniel's question. When are you going to save us? When are you going to save us? Maybe you've thought the same thing these days. A lot of bad things going in the world right now. There's wars, there's injustices. God, when are you going to save us? When are you going to save your people? And the main point of the chapter is about the age-long conflict between two kingdoms. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God versus the kingdoms of the world. An age-long conflict. And Daniel learns that this conflict will continue throughout world history until the very end. And so I'm trying to put myself in like Daniel's place, and I'm wondering, he has to realize by now that he would not live to see these events come to pass. So I kind of wonder if he felt a little defeated after this vision. You know, maybe it feels like this... Maybe it feels like this sports game that never ends. Can you imagine? Like he just, he just wants this to end. I looked up the longest playing uh, baseball game ever. It was played in 1984 and almost 40 years ago. And the game lasted 25 innings and it took eight hours and six minutes to play. And it actually took them two days to finish the game. They, they had to call it. There's a rule that says you can't, you can't go past like 11 o'clock or something like that. In the unknown, when we don't know things, we humans, we want control. We want to know the outcome. We want to be certain. It's not like we have to like, micromanage every situation, but we want to have a, central, a, a general sense of control and safety. So right now, maybe we are not sure if God is going to win. It doesn't look good. The world is full of trouble right now. There's a war in Ukraine. U.S. economy is supposedly going on a teetering on recession. There's a lot of unknowns. And we humans, we like to be comfortable, and we want it to remain that way. And the way, the way we, we bring ourselves comfort, a way to control our destiny, a way to control the outcome of our lives, is to work hard in this society. We, we strategize our lives like we do board games, like sorry, don't we? We like to move pieces around in our lives, to set up ourselves for success. Am I right? We're taught that if we work hard at school and eventually at work, we'll get a decent job and have a good life. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Having a good life, onward and upward to the right. We meet someone, fall in love, marry, and have kids. We work hard, we get promoted, we make money, have a fulfilling career, get a nicer car every few years, get a bigger house each decade or so. We win at life, right? There's even a board game called the game of life. Upward mobility, right? The goal is to, is to increase our socioeconomic status every once in a while. And the hope is that our kids, our children, we will be better off than we are. This is what we are taught. And this is what we want control over, our lives. Our comfortable lives of upward mobility. So what if there's an accident? What if things mess up up our concept of upward mobility? I had a high school friend that I graduated with, and his first semester in college, he was hit by a car uh, crossing a crosswalk. He had to miss a lot of school. He was in a lot of pain. He graduated very late because he had years of physical therapy that he had to undergo. What if our job and career is in jeopardy? Don't we get a little bit uncertain and worried? What if our marriage is falling apart? What if we have inner demons we are wrestling with? Well, how do we react then? Jane and I met this family from Ukraine. They're refugees seeking asylum here in the United States. They live very near us and we've gotten to know them. They have a young girl who plays with my son. Their life has been uprooted. There was no guarantee of upward mobility in Ukraine once they were attacked in Russia. Their lives are not marked, that their lives are very, mark, very much marked with uncertainty. In a way that I think most of us have not experienced here in comfortable Southern California. And Daniel was no different. His life was marked with uncertainty. He probably wanted to know, when is there an end to all this? My own country being occupied by all these bad kings. As a parent, the world has become a much scarier place than when I grew up, and to most of us, life is precious. I don't fear for my career or my marriage yet, but to me as a parent, one of my uncertain fears is mass shootings. If you read the news lately, it can be understandable how helpless and hopeless it can be. I looked up some stats. Right now, as of July 1st, I, I, I updated my slides last night there have been 336 mass shootings in the united states and so i extrapolated we're on the course on course to have 675 674 mass shootings just in this year alone that's about 1.85 mass shootings per day 1.85 per day there are about 330 million people living in the United States, 331 million. And there's about 108,000 cities and towns in the United States. That's a lot, right? Statistically, I ran the numbers. My brother and I are two random brothers living in two randomly different states, living in two time zones apart. And yet, just this year, Two mass shootings just this year have occurred less than 20 minutes away from where each of us live. What are the odds of that? I live 17 minutes away from Monterey Park, where there was a mass shooting. And he lives 19 minutes away from Allen, Texas, where there was a mass shooting. You know, mass shootings are a total unknown, a total uncertainty, and a total lack of control. We have no idea what's going to happen, right? Jane and I briefly talked about homeschooling, not because of educational philosophy but more to keep our son protected from school shootings. There were no school shootings when I, when I was growing up. There were no lockdowns. I've been a youth pastor in Southern California for about 15 years. I've lost count of the number of times Temple City High School or Arcadia High School has been on lockdown. And I always try to text the kids to see if they are okay. Thankfully, nothing serious has ever happened. In our daily lives, we have this semblance of control and I think our lives float between the paradigms of shoots and ladders and sorry. Our lives float in between the random chance and strategy. There are some things that are completely by chance, like shoots and ladders, at least to us, uh, like traffic, right? You never know what traffic will be in Southern California, am I right? All right so that's, that's, that's chance. And then I think there are some things that we can control to a certain extent, like the game of sorry. Like restaurants we eat at, or what friends we sit at with at lunch, the homework we do, the grades we get, the college we go to, the job we work at. We can control some of these things to an extent. We want control and assurance. We don't like fear and uncertainty. Daniel probably feels like he has no control. It's all uncertainty. You know, Mike, Mike and I talk every week. You know, we're the only two members on staff here. Uh, we, have a, we have a weekly meeting every, every Tuesday morning. I remember asking him how they were doing when there was a health issue in the family. You know how he responded? <laughs> something to the effect of, we've been through this for so long now that we just trust God will see us through this. Can we say that about our own lives? Can we say right now, if there's something that happens in our lives, that we will trust God to just see us through our trials? I, I, you know, I play a lot of board games with my son, I argue that games of strategy are more enjoyable or rewarding or fulfilling than games of pure chance. What if in this game there's a card that lets you win, like, a, like an insta-win mechanic, right? What if you had this card when you played it, man, you would just automatically go to this, this amazing square and you'd win, this square number 100. Right Or in sorry. what if you played a card that you, know, you only go from one of these start squares, you go all the way around, and you go to home? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if there was like a real-life win card? And then whenever you played it, well, what would it be for you? Maybe, maybe for the younger crowd, it's good grades. Play the card, and boom, you check power school, and you just have straight A's. Maybe you're looking at college, you play the card, and boom, UCLA Acceptance Letter, or, or USC. Maybe you want a romantic relationship? Boom, play the card. Meet the person of your dreams in a wedding the next day. Maybe you want a job? Boom, you play the card. Well-paying career. Maybe you want money? Play the card. Boom, you have, you have money in your account. No more uncertainty. Today's vision, which I think is scary, you got the four beasts and the scary, the jaws and the weird horns that can talk, and it's, it's meant to bring comfort. It's God's win card being played on the entirety of human history. No matter how bad it looks, just like when my son is behind in a game, but it's like God landing on square number 28, and he gets to go all the way up. He comes from behind and wins. In Daniel's word of uncertainty, right, his, his country's been taken captive. He's got kings with random oppressive laws. Today's vision is meant to bring comfort. So it's, it's saying, like, yeah, things may look bad, but in the end, God will prevail. God wins. No matter, no matter how bad it looks, and it will look bad, God wins. Yeah, four beasts rising out of the earth, four kingdoms wreaking havoc. It's okay. God wins. You're behind in a board game? Don't worry. You win. In the vision, these scary kingdoms come up after one another, devouring, laying waste to the earth, but the kingdom of God prevails in the end. So what about you? Maybe you're worried about something today. Maybe you're anxious about something today. There's probably something in your life that you're not sure about right now. I've kind of listed mine. I've got more. You're not sure the outcome and it worries you. Is my health going to be okay? I've been there. How many surgeries will I need? How long will I be in pain? Is my job secure? Where's my next paycheck coming from? Some of us, is my marriage going to last? Or will I ever find somebody to marry? Will my kids be okay? Why don't, why don't they ever listen to me? Why do my kids talk back so much to me? But then on the other hand, will my kids make it? Upward and to the right, right? Are my grades okay? Are my parents going to get mad at me? Does he or she like me? What college will I go to? When will my parents stop fighting? Is my family going to fall apart? Why am I thinking of hurting myself, cutting myself? If you're thinking any of these things, I hear you. And I have my own worries. And some of these, I've talked to the youth group. I've, I've had some of these intrusive thoughts. I have my own insecurities. So I want to talk about two takeaways from today's passage. And the first one is that evil is real. Just read the news headlines. And I think, I think we get comfortable here in Southern California, but evil is rear, uh, real. We can't be naive about the reality of evil. It exists everywhere in the world. And we can't be naive about the strength of evil. It is powerful. And In the meantime, it can and it will overcome God's righteous people. The world is not fair. The world is not fair. God wins in the end, but that doesn't mean evil is weak. Evil is strong. And we can't be naive about the longevity of evil. This is not a single issue or a single war or a single country that is won like maybe Daniel was hoping for, like just, just beat the Babylonians and the Persians and the Medes and, and, and we'll be done. There's no, It's not a quick end to all the suffering. This will be an age-long conflict. It was true, it was true of Daniel's time, and look, it's, a, it's, it's thousands of years later and it's still true now. Evil is real, evil is strong, and evil will be long-lasting. We may see nations come and go like Daniel did. I hung out with Bernice, at Union Rescue Mission a couple weekends ago. And during some of the downtime, she told me that she remembers World War II. So she would have seen Nazi Germany come and go. Now, maybe we live in a day in, in a place where life is peaceful for Christians here, like in Southern California. I get it. We probably don't feel much persecution here. We probably feel complacent and comfortable upwards to the right. But let's remember to pray for those who are experiencing great evil, maybe in other parts of the world. I read reports on Ukraine a lot, and I think about their lives. We need to be concerned, like Daniel was, for ourselves and for Christians in the future who will face difficult trials. Evil is real, evil is strong, and evil is long-lasting. We have to understand that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of suffering. The forces of evil won't win, ultimately, but they will do everything they can in the meantime to overcome Christians. And suffering of one kind or another is basic to being a Christian. If we are Christians, we are believers. If we are believers, then indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So the first thing is that we can take away is that evil is real. And lastly, uh, second thing, uh, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Our hope is in God. I urge all of us to put our hope into God. And I talked earlier about upward mobility, upward to the right, using our talent, uh, abilities and talents. This is not to say that you don't need to do homework or work hard or try in life, okay? We have a biblical responsibility to take care of our families and each other, so please do well in your, in your careers, in your lives try to make good life decisions with the talents and abilities that God gave you. But it's where we put our hope in uncertain times. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our grades. Our hope is not in our bank accounts or or our earthly abilities or our earthly possessions. Our hope is in none of that. Our hope is not in our nation or any nation. Our hope is not in any centers of world power. Ultimate power is not in Washington, D.C., or London, or Beijing, or Moscow. Ultimate power lies in the hands of God. And I, I think we need to understand that. And that should bring us comfort. God is sovereign over all. We have to look beyond, we have to look beyond the current terrible events of history beyond to the throne of God. And when we don't understand the events of the world, when we don't get why there's so much suffering, either in our own lives or on a mass human, humankind scale, we have to look to God. We have that assurance that He reigns. He's, he is in control, even in uncertain times, from our personal lives to, to, to globally. Our goal is not to build the kingdoms of the world, to build the nations of the world. Our goal is to build the kingdom of God. And we do that by being faithful, abiding in His love, practicing spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible, praying regularly, serving others, making disciples, loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's how we build the kingdom of God. Our hope is in God. I want to close with a story. There's a story of this missionary returning to the United States, and he was on the same ship as a famous national figure. And these huge crowds waited uh, to greet this famous person. And the missionary saw that, and he didn't see anybody, you know, welcoming him. He, he, he felt a little bit down. And he looked out on the crowd, all these crowds waving, and he realized no one had come to welcome him home. And he started to feel a little bit of self-pity, a little sorry for himself. But then he started to realize the clear truth as if someone spoke to him from heaven. Do not be discouraged, for you are not yet home. Do not be discouraged, for you have not yet reached home. Our hope is in God. In the midst of all these issues in the world today, our hope is in God. We are not yet home today. And I got to think that that was a new perspective for Daniel too. You are not home yet, Daniel. Daniel. Even though you long for Israel to be free from her enemies, you're not home yet. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. This is our home. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This is home to us. In the world today, it looks like we're about to lose. And as Christians, things might look pretty bad, pretty bleak. And they do. Just like if you're behind in a board game. But then you hit that lucky square, number 28. And then God wins because he has ultimate authority and power. Today's vision is a reminder that God is in control of history and the ultimate destiny of the world. The world ends when God says it ends. Not earlier Not any sooner, not any later. God is sovereign over all. He is supreme. No matter what happens in the world, God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. He's working all things together for the good of those who love Him. It didn't start this way. We are all sinners and fall short of God's standard. That's it. We're all sinners. We're all born into sin, and we all fall short of His standard, His glory. And the just punishment for that is eternal separation. He's that holy, that perfect, that he cannot stand, he cannot be in the presence of our sin. And so the just punishment for our sins is eternal separation from God. We call that hell. But God paid that price for us. He sent his son to die on the cross for us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So let us continue to love and serve one another. Let us continue to build his kingdom. Let us put our hope, our only hope, in the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a lot of things down here on earth, a lot of uncertainty. There's wars, there's famines, there's a lot of injustice in the world. Humans taking advantage of each other, humans hurting each other. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, we, we know you're sovereign, you're control, you're supreme authority over all this, Father. We pray for relief for the saints. We pray for your help in times of trouble. Father, send us the Spirit Strengthen us, Father. Help us not put our hope in the things that we create for ourselves, for the things that we strategize for ourselves, but our hope, our only hope, into you and your Son. Thank you so much for sending your Son to die for us on that cross. In your Son's most holy and precious name, amen.